Hi again, everybody, moms and dads, boys and girls. You are in the chatter zone. This is episode... 117. Can you believe it? They haven't, they haven't caught on to us yet. <laughs> We've got Magdalene Grace Dean, master iconographer, back in the house. And this is going to be a great episode. It is. And we're going to begin right after we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember, Remember O most, most gracious Virgin Mary... Mary that never, never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Many Amen. blessings uh, this joyous season. We're just on the eve of Lent. We are. Lent comes very early this year, almost as early as it can possibly come. So there's a guy sitting next to us yes. who, who doesn't want to be on the air, but he married his high school sweetheart Aww. on Valentine's Day. Aww. And Ash Wednesday is Valentine's Day, so I want to know if it's going to be love or penance this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, marriage is both, isn't it? it <laughs> not has its not for John. He, it's entirely love. It's just love? Oh, it's okay. just love. It's all romance. <laughs> well, we're recording this on Monday, February 5th, and it will air on Friday the 9th, Saturday the 10th, and Sunday the 11th, which is the lead-up to Lent. Have you noticed, Magdalene, uh, at all, the, the priest, especially Father Loya, I think he hit this recently, that you just can't go into Lent, turn it on on Ash Wednesday. You've got to start getting your head in the game. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It is such a joy and a blessing to be here. And um, you're absolutely right. Uh, Lent is such an honor and a privilege to go through and to grow into, mm-hmm. um, and to to have it uh, be something that you can actually magnify, and that's a word that we use in Eastern Catholicism. To magnify means uh, make larger, to do better, to, bo- to be more godly, to get closer sure. to God, to be more in communion with. And um, in order for that to be successful, we really do have to warm into the great fast of, uh, of Pascha or Easter. Um, and by warming up, we can, we can start um, increasing our prayer life and even fast before the fast in tiny, tiny increments to where by the time you're going into Ash Wednesday, you're actually staking your claim that you're going to be able to be fully present mm-hmm. and calm to um, to commence the the fast. You know, um, the old calendar before 1962 and the changes that happened with Vatican II, there um, the liturgy helped uh, Western Rite Catholics with exactly what you're saying. Three weeks before Lent started, we had Septuagesima Sunday, then Sexagesima Sunday, and then Quinquagesima Sunday. It's that so f- would be a great password, wouldn't it? it Quinquagesima. Would. Yeah. But it, the whole idea was seventy days to Lent. Or I'm sorry, seventy days to Easter, sixty days to Easter, fifty days to Easter. So you started thinking early. 
what am I going to, what am I going to do for Lent? How am I going to increase my prayer, my fasting, my almsgiving? You started thinking about it instead of on Fat Tuesday going, oh, wait, I need to think of something for tomorrow. And I really wish that that had stayed in the calendar after the Vatican II changes because I need a little advance notice. And every year I'm shocked that Lent comes around. But I'm hearing more, and we've been carrying it on KCRD, more priests talking about this in their sermons and in their shows, that you just can't turn it on on Ash Wednesday morning, especially if you went out and, and did the Mardi Gras, the fast, Fat mm-hmm. Tuesday. Right. On, um, yeah. And, and it, do I have that right? Is that the Feast of the Holy Face? Do I have that right in anywhere? Or what? Wasn't there a novena going? Mm, we'll look it up. I should have rehearsed this with you. Well, the the Eastern the Eastern ca- uh, Catholic would have um, the beginning. It, it starts off with the entrance to Orthodoxy. Right. So maybe we're talking about the same thing, and that's where. Um, well, the, the holy face would be the image not made Do by I have hands. That right? Yeah, and uh, we would have what's known as the entrance of orthodoxy procession, and that's included in the mass time in the liturgy, where children and adults and clergy all process. Sometimes it's two or three miles. Sometimes it's just around the church uh, campus, and they are all holding up their icons. And they're holding them up to be uh, coming into liturgy to be blessed. Mm-hmm. But it's the kickoff of this pre-Lenten period. And then from there, we go into um, what's known as Forgiveness sun- Sunday. And that is, has anyone heard of that? Never heard of that. You're Tell saying us the about first that. Sunday of Lent is... It's the first Sunday before Lent. First Sunday before Lent. So after which we... Is This will be when it airs, correct? Right, on the 11th, February 11th this year. So it's known as Forgiveness Sunday, and as a part of the liturgy, uh, there is a blessing period that goes on at the end of the liturgy where everybody stands up in the parish, and sometimes there's so many people, because this is is before your Ash Wednesday. This is before the commencement of the great past. So everyone's coming to this because it's their way of cleaning their soul. Um, and creating a blank canvas so that they can come into the following week, the true beginning of Lent, and really be present. So they all stand inside the um, the nave of the church, and sometimes there are so many people that we have to, we, we, we stand all around the walls, um, and sometimes we have to stand two or three lines deep uh, around the walls. And it starts in a clockwise position where the priest um, looks over to his side and stands before the person in front of him, whether he knows that person or not, and says, um, um, please forgive me, I am a sinner. And, um, and, and then the person that he's saying that to says, um, um, forgive me as well, I am a sinner. Um, and they, they. This is the priest speaking to the. To, to one whoever. person starting off this line. And then they, they give each other a hug, and then they pass that same question. It keeps on going all around the church. It takes sometimes an hour or two wow. hours to do. And for those who are very hardcore, they'll do the metany or the metania, which is a. I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and, mm-hmm. and genuflect, to, you know. At, the, at your feet as yeah. I'm asking for your forgiveness. Wow. 
And, and, and so the, the response basically is for both is may we both be forgiven. And, and we do that so many times that uh, it's, and if you're doing the full metonies, I mean, it's, 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 it's exhausting. But when you come out of that liturgy, you come out clean. Um, and yes, we have the confession before the great fast begins. Sure. Of course we have that. But this is something where, much like in iconography, there's a tactile warmth and closeness that you that is conveyed through the icon but in the eastern catholic understanding we look at that parishioner who we may know or not know who is next to us who we are asking for forgiveness and we view them as a living icon oh so it's a it's it's a it's a tactile closeness and warmth and a conveyance of experiencing jesus directly through that person just as we experience Jesus directly through that icon. So each person asks for forgiveness and then receives, or the other person asks them for So it goes both ways. Exactly. That's really powerful. And this is kind of related. So my husband is Polish, and Ukrainian-Polish, I believe. And they have a very similar um, tradition at Christmas time called a Płatek. Oh, yeah. Have you heard of a pot? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like a large host, usually a scene on it, but every family member goes to the other and says, I'm sorry if I have offended you, please right. forgive me. And then they each um, break a little piece of this host off and consume. But I was thinking of that as you were talking about asking forgiveness from one another. Yes. Very powerful thing. Especially when you don't, when, this, these are strangers. For mm-hmm. some people, they're coming in or they're visiting, and, and you've never maybe even met that family who's three rows down on the other side of the church that you see every Sunday. Um, it's, it's the most beautiful thing. You do cry. You can't help but not to. And they could be tears of penance or tears of humility, but they're also tears of joy, of actually touching God through another person. Mm. So it's a very beautiful, powerful thing. And this is before Sunday liturgy? Yes. So you're going for an hour or two hours? or It, it's, it can go for three hours. And then the liturgy begins? Well, no, this is after the liturgy. Oh, this is so after you have perhaps a one- or a two-hour-long liturgy, because there's a lot more in the hymnography that is uh, presented as if we get closer to the great fast. Sure. And then we have the forgiveness aspect of this, which could take an hour to two hours. Um so this is, is the week before, and then we have what's known as cheese fair during that. That, that kicks off the, first, the, the fast before the fast, where we are now already fasting from meat, but we're allowed to have cheese, tons of protein in that way, mm-hmm. um, all week long, but no meat. When did the fasting from meat start? It, uh, it starts a week before the Great Lent. Okay. Before Ash Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. And so it's called Cheese Fair, not just in Wisconsin. <laughs> it's <laughs> everywhere. Is that right? <laughs> I, I we have think, to clarify it. We're yeah, that close you know, we to... We are kind uh, of across yeah, the border. We're that close. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes, it's called Cheese Fair. It's, I always thought it was the funniest term, yeah. but it's their replacement for Mardi Gras. Grace, let's uh, just... For those who have been listening and those just tuning in, get, get the bearings going here. This is the, uh, the Byzantine rite, the Catholic Byzantine rite. Right. Just so 
people understand uh, right. uh, well, how first, that is. First of all, for those who have never listened to uh, any of the previous shows where I have spoken about iconography, I am a master iconography and professor of Byzantine iconography, which is the liturgical art form that comes out or you see in the Byzantine Catholic Rite churches. Now, there are several different traditions or as we call them, customs from different cultures. Mm -hmm. So there's the Ukrainian Catholic, there's right. the Greek Melkite Catholic, there's the Ruthenian Catholic, uh, uh, Rite Catholic. And all of these um, rites still use the, um, the Eastern Catholic liturgy and, and lifestyle, if you will. But um, still in, under the see of, of, of the Pope, and still in communion with the Roman Rite Church. So we're all one, and as um, St. Um, John Paul used to say, um, the church needs to breathe with, with both, both of its lungs. Yeah, mm -hmm. east and west. East and west. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our listeners may or may not know that, um, you know, our experience of the Catholic Church is the Western Catholic Church, the Latin Rite Church. That's what we you know, are familiar with, but I don't think a lot of our listeners know that there's an Eastern Rite and there's Byzantine and Maronite and all the ones that you were mentioning, there's like over 20. Well, I think the, the most interesting thing about the two is that when you think about the, the Latin Mass, the traditional Latin Mass, that's an ancient rite. Right. And the Eastern Catholics uh, rites are ancient rites. So these rites have been established from just a short time after the passing of Christ, all the way for the first 1,000 years. So, in essence, we were breathing, the church was breathing with both lungs originally. Sure. So this just brings us back to what I call the traditions and the, the beauty and the solemnity, and I'm going to have to really, I think, use that word a lot, Solemnity. Solemnity. Because it, it, it means that there's a higher respect. There's a higher value system for the extra rubrics and the extra um, uh, prayer life and, and um, sacramental living mm -hmm. in, a, in a more, shall we say, strict lifestyle, which, of course, is going to garner a much more mature and rich theological life and growth. Mm -hmm. And so so I I really just want to say that they're just our ancient Catholic rites because mm -hmm. that's what they Which are. Which can have their origins traced to the apostles. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So this this is not something that was concocted even in the second century. These uh, these are first century apostolic liturgical rites. Well, and even if you want to get technical with them, you can even learn about them when Paul starts to write about the seven churches in the Bible in the New Testament. Mm. Those are all seven examples of our early Catholic church. Mm. Which still have remnants today. St they're still, more than remnants, they're yeah. still, they're the still completely vibrant, viable. Yeah. active, yeah. fascinating. Yeah. And you know, for all those uh, thousand years, it helped us in our faith. You know, you think of all the great saints and 
and part of me says I want to I want to have what they had or at least have access to it um, it might be my fault to not take total um, advantage of what's given to me but that would be my fault I want to know what is there that is going to help me grow in holiness that helped th- uh, Catholics for a thousand years grow exactly That's and proven and and those Catholics really had to deal with much more stress and uncertainty uncertainty than what we have today. Mm-hmm. Now what we have today is is more certainty in some areas, but a lot more distraction mm-hmm. and, um, um, and a lot more choices. I, I think that when, when we are given a restriction on our choices, we can really focus on what we have to work with and really develop that. And that's a word that iconographers use when we are learning the canon and sketching and the process of the composition of the icons that we mm-hmm. write. Right. We use the word development. And, and we, I, I think many of us are, are wanting to come back to the ancient rites to help us to develop our theological understanding so that we can have a rich, a more rich and close connection in communion with God. And I think we're doing this as as for those of us who are considered baby boomers, we're um, we're wanting to connect with that because we really didn't have a chance or it wasn't presented as well because we were, pardon the expression, victims of Vatican II. Mm-hmm. In many of our churches, mm-hmm. um, they were actually we were forced to change the way we celebrated our Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. So now um, we, we see young people who say, wow, they never experienced that early imposition of, of the modern Catholic life. Um, they're learning in school about the ancients, and they're seeing such a contrast to how this world is living with distraction that they are purposely uh, seeking out the, the ancient mm-hmm. Latin Mass. Well, I think anyone would have to agree if they look at the history of the church, it's just in the last 60 years since Vatican II, it's been an abysmal failure. Right. And we can talk about that some other time, because I know that we're coming we're out, up against we're, a break. We're out of the uh, first segment here. Yeah. But, um, but Let's we're, come we're, back and pick that we're up. We're going to have more with um, um, iconographer Magdalene. In our next segment, um, you're listening to The Chatter on KCRD FM 98.3. Um, be back soon. We're back. FM 98.3 KCRD on the KCRD mobile app. This is the chatter episode number. 117. And who is our sponsor? Well, it is Hotworks over at uh, Holiday Drive. I know. Does Ash Wednesday count as a holiday? I don't know, but you know what? Hotworks is working out in a sauna, right? Mm. I think it might help everyone avoid hell if they go and work out there and see what it's like. They might want to avoid, right? It might give them motivation to have a good Lent. Just had Melissa's face. Flash into my psyche here thinking, go see Melissa and avoid hell. That's right. Decide that you're going to not be in a sauna the rest of eternity. We've got a big event coming up Saturday. 
March 2nd, we're going to the Best Western Hotel, 3100 Dodge Street. I think we're opening at about 4 o'clock for mm-hmm. um, let let the doors in, mm-hmm. let the doors open. Because mm-hmm. uh, if we say 5 o'clock, you're going to be there at 4 o'clock anyway, yeah. so we might as well let you know you can get in. Yeah. And the speakers are? Well, Adam Bly mm-hmm. and Debbie Giorgiani, mm-hmm. they're coming in. You hear them uh, Saturday mornings, mm-hmm. 10 o'clock mm-hmm. on... Uh, KCRD, it's the spirit world, and it is quickly becoming one of the hottest shows we carry all week long. Mm-hmm. 10 o'clock Saturday morning, Debbie Giorgiani, Adam Bly, they're going to be talking about angels, don't you know, and Eucharistic miracles. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> they've been promoing, they do the show Saturday mornings live. Debbie's out of uh, Phoenix, Adam's out of Pittsburgh. They sound like they're in the same room. They're not. They take calls from across the country. We're getting people buying tickets from Omaha, mm. up in Milwaukee. They're ca- they're calling in for mm. it. Dubuque, as usual, will wait until three days before the event <laughs> to buy their tickets. That so is true. go to kcrd-fm.org. If you need ticket customer service, five six three two three one three five four five two three one. 3545 kcrd-fm.org buy your tickets early don't wait and for the angels to come down and drop a brick near you <laughs> i like the way she did you. that her very soft yes. sweet voice and then the, drop a brick the iron fist inside the velvet glove from from uh, well Grace. if it's from if it's from an angel technically one would see a white feather floating down in front of you that is known as a sign but there are some people who don't take that as a sign, and they maybe, maybe might wait for the brick. Yeah. Yeah. Doing that. So speaking of angels, on the break, um, iconographer Magdalene was saying that she will have a booth at the conference on March yeah, 2nd. Yeah, what are you going to bring down? Well, you know, we've been talking about the the usage of icons to help uh, magnify our prayer life and certainly to um, to convey more theological learning for us, especially when we talk about the angels, we have nine ranks, nine, sure. nine almost military ranks. and I'd uh, say very military ranks. Absolutely, especially as we get closer to the human aspect, they do become more and more military in their action. Uh, the ones that are closest to God, the cherubim and the seraphim, they're they're so burning with uh, God's passion uh, of, for the Lord that you know they're standing and hovering right next to Christ at all times. So, um, but we do have the archangels that then come into the personal angels and the guardian angels. So at the shop, we actually have a whole wall dedicated to angels in iconography, mm-hmm. including the different ranks. We also have theological books that are sound, uh, founded in the Bible of the different, uh, the different hierarchy of the angels and the, 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 how to pray with them, how to know how they work in the angelic realm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so I'll be bringing those in as well as some of our books. And we're also including tiny little icons that are smaller than your cell phone. Now, nowadays, most people almost use their cell phone as an icon 
in in a kind of a in a not so good way. Well, don't they call the little symbols of things icons? They do. Yuck, oh. yuck, yuck. They do. They do. But we have a sign in our shop that has a picture of uh, the patron saint um, Theodora, uh, Empress Theodora, and and all of the entourage that have reinstated liturgical art in iconographic form mm, at around mm, 750 or so A.D. And underneath it, and, and they're all holding icons, and underneath it I have signage for the seminarians and the college students that says iconography, the original handheld device. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. Interesting. Yes, and, and because they were used... Much like we use our phone, people carried little icons in their little money pouches on their camel ride, on their horse ride. Um, when they traveled, they wanted to bring their, their small altar with them so that they could have their prayer life follow them. Remember, these were days before we had Bibles. Sure. These were days where the gospel was, was taught through word of mouth and through small or large wall um, depictions, paintings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, using small icons to have with you at all times is just a wonderful thing. I, we talked about last time, I we have did. icons in my car. Yes. Uh. I have icons in every room of my home. Mm. Um, um, they're biblical um, reminders and accounts. And um, sometimes we look at our phone, and especially our calendar, for reminders. But back in the day, icons were used for reminders. Um, so let's go deeper on angels. Yes. A lot of people think they're just part of new age fads and fashions and you don't have to believe them. Uh, what say you and the church on the theology of, uh, or the uh, philosophy of angels? Well, the thing about modern day understanding of angels, and it's much like anything that new age, the new age thought or lifestyle has concocted is that they've taken bits of pieces of different religions. And in our Catholic faith... Syncretism? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and in our Catholic faith, they pulled angels. Why angels? Well, because angels go back in just about every... every Not Catholic and Christian angels. I'm talking about the figure of winged-looking, human-looking creatures um, can be seen in ancient art from many, many different religions. So the average New Age person is pulling from, from all of these pagan, winged creatures, including classical Greek and classical Roman mythology, and they've turned it into their own religion. That's the religion that I choose. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, your own religion. You get to make it up the way you want to, just like a salad. And, and then what happens is that they, they, they use that angel in the way that we would use our angels in the Catholic faith, but in an, idol- in an idolatry-driven way as opposed to us um, connecting with angels as a part of God's realm. There's, there's a huge difference. Pretend and um, self-designed um, versus God's living heavenly realm. So they're creatures not to be worshipped is what... Well, God, God is is the original creator of them. They, right. They are different ranks of helpers 
as we get closer to the human race mm-hmm. to help us. They're, they're, they're gifted to us to help us, to help guide us, to help watch over us. Uh, we can intercede with them through prayer, um, but we can't take them and turn them into our own idol. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so everybody seems to love angels, and that's why I have a lot of angels in the shop, because they do speak, um, I think, uh, just on a visceral re- uh, level to just about anybody. They see the wings, they see the peaceful face, and they calm down. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it starts a conversation for us um, in, the, in the gallery. And I think angels can work that way uh, for people who are coming into the church for the very first time. They may not understand uh, Catholicism. They may not really understand or know anything really about the Bible. But something familiar to look at would be an angel, and somehow they would just calm down. Um, now, there, there's a whole new um, realm of people now celebrating the dark angel. Oh, yes. I haven't heard that. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yes. Yeah. It's yeah. Even, even in our, uh, even in our um, you know, state. Uh, what, state house. Yes. Oh, it was just that. down in mm-hmm. the Capitol. Yeah. Decapitated, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 People, people are seeming to really like and appreciate and worship now the dark angel. And who is the dark angel? Well, Lucifer is a fallen angel. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they're taking that into their own little cult or religion and creating that. But the heavenly powers that are created by God um, as, a way to, as a way to convey his presence and also to help guide us and protect us are part of our faith and they are biblical. So they, there's no denying that they are a Christian aspect of, of, our, of our understanding and faith. You've teased us now a couple of times with angels and their, their purpose. Uh, you've talked about the hierarchies and you've talked about the nine choirs. Can you pull that together? Because I don't think most people get Ooh. what the nine choirs are and the three hierarchies and their their tasks, their mission. Well, it's... You've got four minutes to sum up <laughs> everything about angels. Well, I like to think of them in terms of three, uh, three sections. Um, Hierarchies. We, yes. Yeah. We, we, have, we have the seraphim and the cherubim. They are the closest to God. They don't look like normal angels. They're winged creatures. We don't really see them with hands and feet, though we do see a little face in the center. Those are very readily understood as uh, putti or putini in Italian um, realistic art, where you see the little fat cherub face. You don't Mm -hmm. see a body. You just see a fat chubby uh, face with wings. Um, But the seraphim and the cherubim um, really serve God and, and not really get close to people. Then we have what's known as the principalities, the dominions, and the thrones. They're in the middle. They don't, they don't really come down into earth and do earthly work, but they are conveying, let's say, during the Assumption uh, where, or during the Resurrection um, where, or the glory that we see in the Transfiguration. We see some of these, or the enthronement of Christ, we see some of these um, heavenly bodies depicted. 
And then finally we have what's known are the archangels, and then we have the guardian angels, and your, your, your angels that are closest to the human form. Um, and they're going to be what we call our guardian angel. The archangels act as commanders above them. All of the different ranks of angels really are, are Jesus actually heads them all. So the, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people think that the angels talk to Jesus and control Jesus and, and you know, direct Jesus. No, that ain't no. happening. No. So, so that's, that's one fallacy that a lot of people have. The other one is when somebody, when a child dies, can they become an angel? Oh, you hear that a lot, oh, don't you? Oh, mm-hmm. that All is something that just is uh, like an old tale that just never, never... If I read one more time in the obituary that little Amy Lee got her wings. Mm-hmm. That is such a common thing. And when I give my lectures, you would not believe. I've got people from Europe, from all over the world, and they, they honestly believe that little children who die or so-and-so become angels. Now, that's just a confusion that never did get corrected. But we do see an image in iconography of the guardian angel holding the infant. Mm-hmm. And perhaps maybe somehow through the, you know, thousands of years, people have become confused by this mm-hmm. and have assumed that that baby becomes the angel. So we can clarify things right now. When people die, if they attain heaven, they become a saint, right? They don't become an angel. That's a whole different category That's a different of being. creature. Yeah, it's a whole, yeah. Well, and, and we're really called to become saints while we're alive. Well, yes. Right. Yes. If Ultimately. You don't, if you don't be a saint here, you ain't going to be one there. Yeah. Exactly. So we really need to see that proven in life um, and and what we can become is beatified and and remembered mm-hmm. as a saint mm-hmm. but w- people never become angels no. right yeah no. so. now there are a couple of things in iconography that could confuse us because we do see John the Baptist wearing wings and we do see some other icons where we see things with wings those are usually metaphors for a theology that is directly related to scripture and is not necessarily a true being, John the Baptist, a man wearing wings. I don't know if I've seen that. Have you? I haven't, no. No, there's, there's several of them out there. This and is an iconography? Yeah, and they are part of our, our learning and our theology, but they're more biblically based. So therefore, you're going to see metaphors in that way. Uh, depicted in that way, so that's a whole other uh, that's a whole other session for me to come back on and talk about the different saints and the confusion that can come when, from from the depiction versus a metaphor, uh, a depiction as a metaphor versus a real mm-hmm. depiction of something that doesn't look right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sounds good. That's good. Um, so we kind of got off track here because I, I know angels we, will do that. Angel, <laughs> I know we wanted to talk about Lent, and and I'm really enjoying the angel well, we conversation. Might as, we might we as well do Lent in the in the third, in the third segment, segment. because you've got two minutes left here. Mm-hmm. Well, what we can do is I'll just give you a lead in. Um, one of the things that we want to talk about with Lent is also to grow our uh, our fasting uh, experience, but also to grow our uh, our giving. So those are, those are our hints, and we have a lot of words that we want to distinguish from each other. Sacrifice versus philanthropia versus caritas. Uh, 
versus elios, ultimately coming to the word alms, as in almsgiving. Mm. So there are subtle differences between all of these, and I think we need to break them down a little bit so that people can actually navigate through, through the process of giving in a larger way. That's, that's great. I'm looking forward to segment three. You're listening to Magdalene Grace Dean, the master iconographer. What's our address down on uh, Bluff Street 300? Uh, yeah, we're at, we're at the tea shop called Byzantium, and that's at 333 Bluff Street, and that's in Cable Car Square, and we're pretty much just a block away from St. Raphael's Cathedral. Just up the road a piece here. Mm-hmm. We're going to be back in segment three of episode 117. If you haven't bought your tickets yet... They need to do so. Absolutely. Saturday, March 2nd, Debbie Giorgiani, along with Adam Bly of the Spirit World, are coming to Dubuque, the Best Western Hotel in the main ballroom at 3100 Dodge. Tickets are on sale now, and guess what the subject is? I'm going to say angels. How did you know? Angels and Eucharistic Miracles. Go to kcrd-fm.org, get your tickets. If you need assistance or you just want to talk to somebody and pretend you need assistance, Call 563-231-3545. Ask for Colleen. She won't be here. I'll talk to you. (laughs) We'll be right back after this. back. We're in the studios of FM 98.3 KCRD. You are listening forever to the podcast on the mobile app. Keyword is kcrd-fm.org. Brought to you by Hotworks on Holiday Drive here in Dubuque. The only holiday in the country, and so far as we know, that has two L's. wonder what, is that... Did yeah. Doc Holiday? I was just do it thinking. That way? I was trying to remember the gunslinger's Doc, name. Doc we'll Holiday. Maybe anyway. he had two L's in his name. Two L's there. So stop by at Hotworks and tell them thank you for bringing these great shows. 117 episodes. That's right. And this that. episode, we have um, iconographer Magdalene Grace with us, and it's been fascinating. I um, love angels. Fascinating chatter today, and we we're going to talk about Lent, and then we got into angels, and we're going back to talk about Lent. Um, I'm sitting next to um, Magdalene, and she's got vocabulary words written down. You can tell she's a professor. Are we going Greek, Magdalene? She's going to take us to school. Well, we have to go Greek because that's the original language of the New Testament. Sure. And I'll make it easy on us and not go Hebrew. Oh, thank you. And that would be the Old Testament. Yeah. So, um, uh, and then everything got translated from there, uh, from the Greek in the New Testament. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, help people realize that during um, iconographers, during Lent time, um, we really take Lent to another level because we want to grow. We need to grow. We're unable to come to that easel and create these, these pieces of liturgical art without a constant um, forward movement. Um, and that means growing in, in, your, in your fasting and then ultimately incorporating almsgiving at a higher level 
during your fast period. They go hand in hand. Most people just stop at the word fast and then leave it at that. And believe it or not, I cannot tell you how many people I uh, meet of advanced age who have been fasting, who are devout Catholics, who have been fasting for decades, Mm -hmm. um, and they're still fasting in the same way that they were probably when they were 20 or when they had catechism in their younger years. So go deeper on that. How does one grow in fasting? Well, I think what happens is people get confused. Um, Our church and, and the Bible teaches us to tithe. Now, what does tithing mean? Um, it, 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 it means the one-tenth. Right. And this, this is an old tradition that goes back beyond the biblical time. And this is uh, you tithe to your government. You tithe to your master who owned the, the farm fields. Um, um, and, and then the other term um, that people seem to, to get confused with uh, almsgiving would be making a sacrifice. So tithing is something that we do to support the church. It's 10%. It's done. And it's, it's not a part of almsgiving. It's a separate entity. Sacrifice is something I never like to use in conjunction with the term tithing or in conjunction with the term almsgiving. Um, sacrifice, if you really break down the ancient word and action, it means taking a life. It means giving up something so large that it's giving up a life. And therefore, it's giving up a part of you. It also, it also doesn't let you know. It, it, it's, it's something you give up that you don't get anything back. So it's not a good word to use um, during our Lenten fast. But almsgiving really is a, re- is a word that is uh, resulting from, from a few other words that were translated into Latin. So let's start with the word philanthropia. That one's pretty easy to figure out. It's a Greek word, and uh, it means giving. But, but we don't see it listed in the Bible or, or uh, quoted in the Bible using that word too often. I think there's only two times in the Bible that use the word philanthropia because it goes back to an ancient Greek and Roman um, uh, um, way of giving to someone mm-hmm. who gives to you. So it, philanthropy almost always in the ancient sense was um, a celebration of someone because someone was celebrating you. So there's some kind of an exchange? There, it's transactional. Okay. And so we don't really use that word because we don't really see it illustrated in the Bible. But what we do see illustrated in the Bible is a word, and there's 16 verses. And it's a Greek word called eleemosyne. Eleemosyne. And from that word, the root word of that is elios. And elios translates directly to mercy. Mm. The Latin equivalent caritas Mm -hmm. translates directly to charity. So we look at the word charity, and we look at the word elios, and we see that it's a form of giving. But what kind of form of giving? The motivation is love. And um, as Jesus quoted in Matthew 25, Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as ye do unto the least of my brethren, you have done unto me. 
So if we want to understand that when you're giving and you're giving of love, yes, you could be giving someone food. Yes, you could be giving nourishment. Yes, you could be giving them treatment and help if they're ill. But what you're really giving them is you're giving it to God. You're giving it to Jesus. And it's, it's our natural Christian mindset that everything that we do in this world, including right now sitting in this room, whether we're driving in a traffic jam, whether we're going to church, or whether we're having to discipline our young children, that we do this for God. Mm -hmm. Yes, in the long run, the child is going to benefit from a lesson. Yes, in the long run, um, um, my patience is going to grow if I'm in the car and I'm getting you know, to a point where I'm running out of time. But if I'm giving my task to God, what you have is, it, it's, it's, it's not transactional. Not it's, transactional at No, all. not at all. It's the love that mm-hmm. God gives to us. Mm-hmm. It's what Jesus did for us when he died for us. So giving without an expectation of return in that, any way, shape, or form. That would be the most simple way to explain it. And I think you're, as you're talking, it reminds me of Mother Teresa. Didn't she do what she did because she saw the face of Christ in those that were dying? So she treated them as though they were Christ. Exactly. So from the word elios, then we end up getting the word, the English word alms. And in Latin, alms is, is a, shortness, a shortening of a Latin word that is the root word for alemone which is, goes back to the elemosine in Greek. So we have alimony that everybody knows of in divorces, you know, husbands and wives or whoever gets divorced has to, has to uh, continue to pay for someone's housing and, and nourishment and so on. But in the ancient sense of the form alimony, it was to nurture and to nourish in mm. a non-transactional way. So... Um, so what we want to do is not only give without expectation, but we want to up that to the next level and give anonymously. That's a really big one for people because I think most people are very proud of themselves when they're giving. And they really want people to know that they're giving. Mm-hmm. But that's a transaction, isn't it? Right. Because if I'm giving and I want people to know about it, I'm going to get notoriety. So you're talking about almsgiving anonymously that is above and beyond outside the... Tithe. The tithe, the category of the tenth. Exactly. Kind of the don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Exactly. And, and to go beyond and, and to, to give without a transaction or an expectation of return, to give anonymously, um, because in doing so, you're not, you're not getting anything back except for the love that you've never really been released from, you've always had uh, with God. Um, and, and then, you know, one of the biggest forms of, of giving today has to include that slip that we give to the accountant for our deductions. Right. But that'd be the tithe, wouldn't it? Not necessarily. There's gifts in kind in accounting, and then there are monetary gifts that need to be um, declared. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they're used to the benefit of the person who's making the gift. 
Um, Hard to be anonymous a, if you get a slip. As a deduction. Yeah. Because I get to pay less taxes if I let it no, be known that I donate so-and-so and, and I can declare that. And I get a return on that somehow. Mm-hmm. It is a transaction. So these are some of the things that we think about. How do we give anonymously? How do we give um, in a way with non-expectation? We do exactly what people like Mother Teresa did. And in the ancient Christian world, we had three types of givers um, that led the way to what we have, what's known as mercy in today's understanding. So we originally had the spude. And the spude were known as the zealous ones. These were, these were people who were doing this at the time that Christ was alive. Um, for the love of God and the love of your neighbor, they gave food and care to the sick and to the dying. Then we had another group of people, and these names are so interesting. The Lazaro, Lazaroete, basing from the word Lazarus, um, they were also known as the, the reckless givers in the sense that they gave care, food, and bathed the lepers. Mm. Reckless, by our understanding today, is who would do that? I'm going to catch that sure. disease. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. So the they were known as the zealous ones. They gave um, for uh, food and care for the sick and the dying. But the reckless ones, the Lazarote, they put themselves at risk of death. Wow. Um, to care. And then came the Dikeni. And the Dikeni were a whole group of givers. Um, and these are all Christians. And first, by the way, first century? First three, 300 years. By the way, they had to do this in the cover of darkness, and they did this at night and in secret, because they would be further punished by the government if they were known to aid these people. Because Christianity was outlawed. Not only not only Christianity being outlawed, but it was looked upon anybody who was poor, or who was sick, or who was who had leprosy, or who was dying, as being criminal, lower than, or they've done something wrong to deserve it. Fascinating. Um, so the Dikeni were those who came in the night to take those, those precious people and to give them a decent Christian burial. Mm-hmm. So this is where our whole concept of our hospitals, our convents who started to become hospitals and started to give care. Um, we even have a hospital here in town that still, still has the remnants in their name, Mercy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my own mother worked as a nurse in a convent um, for most of her early career in Central America and um, gave care to the sick. Mm. And um, there was no such thing as turning anybody away. And these were the original givers, what I call the unknown soldiers of Christian mercy. And these were also people who did things anonymously. They did not become notarized saints. We don't have any record of their names or their families. And we just know that these things were done because they were illustrated in iconography. Mm. God knows their names. He certainly does. How do you suppose this aided the uh, wildfire spread of Christianity in the first three or four hundred years? It really was a hallmark of Christianity that set uh, aside this, this faith from all other forms. Mm -hmm. And it was growing like wildfire. Mm -hmm. 
what is that quote? See how these these Christians love one another? Yeah. yeah some early saints said that. Well, yeah. and wasn't it St. Lawrence who uh, was told, the deacon told to uh, turn over the treasures of mm-hmm. the church yeah. to the emperor, and he came back in two days with the poor, the lame, the uh, blind, mm-hmm. the beggars, mm-hmm. the hungry. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for that, they grilled them on a barbecue. Of course. Both sides, by the way. Yeah. Well, and there were many, many, many saints who were actually uh, killed, uh, martyred, um, that not only gave this kind of mercy, but taught others how to give this kind of mercy. So here we have what's known as the anagari. The anagari in Greek stands for the unmercenary healers. So these are, these are doctors, these are herbalists, these are um, uh, uh, spiritual healers as well as physical body healing saints mm-hmm. in the first three to four hundred years um, that helped to heal so many people and then taught their craft to others. So they were martyred. I mean, they, they became martyrs because they, they were dangerous to the government, to the, to the Roman. Um, in what way? Well... You know, having having people become well and sit and and all of a sudden miraculously walking through the help of another person's herbal knowledge, who was blessed by God to be to be um, an intercessor for even more miraculous healing, well, doesn't look very good for the temple over here down the street when these idols and these gods are supposed to be known as the healers that you go over and you spend, you actually take sacrifices to, you actually take um, uh, bad tithing for, to. Bad for business, was it? Bad for business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that St. Paul wrote about that, like the goldsmiths hated him because all, no one was buying their idols anymore. Absolutely. Idolatry is big business. Mm. And we have that today. Mm. We still have that form of big business. Mm-hmm. We do. And the speaking, I'm just going to tie in the angels that we were talking about earlier with the last group that you mentioned in the Bearing the Dead. Isn't that how the book of Tobit starts? Didn't um, Tobias bury the dead? Um, yeah, and he, then, was, he was hunted down for that. Well, and then his son had the help of the archangel Raphael. And, yep, and that particular angel, most people don't know. They assume, you know, you see the, you see an iconography of him, him, him holding a fish. Mm-hmm. Um, or that he's the patron saint to, you know, help you find a mate. Or there's so many different um, uh, nomikers that he has. But the one that's least known was the fact that he was a healer, and that you do see him sometimes depicted holding a little box of herbs or medicine, natural medicine. Raphael, maybe. Absolutely, Raphael. Yeah. Mm. Hey, we're coming out of. Uh, we we've got a, about two minutes left. Uh, so you've hit on almsgiving. And some fasting and, and prayer, the three three anchors going into Lent. Mm-hmm. And this show will be aired right before Lent. Right before Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So do that. Uh, give us the address and the phone numbers of the uh, tea shop and the... Uh, I can... Sh- I'm, I'm being very casual with the uh, very formal tea shop and, Thank and you. iconography. Well, um, Catholicon Art Gallery is within the tea shop, and the tea shop is called Byzantium. It's a play on words, um, B-Y-Z-A-N-T-E-A-U-M. Uh, our phone number is 563-231-3323. 
You can learn more about iconography at iconography.art. And uh, our address, again, is 333 Bluff Street, and that's in Cable Car Square. And if you want to meet Magdalene Grace, you're going to be at the Best Western 3100 Dodge Saturday night, March 2nd, when Debbie Giorgiani and Adam Bly come in to talk about angels and uh, Eucharistic miracles. And tickets are on sale right now at kcrd-fm.org and customer service at 563-231-3545. And we're out of time already. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory Glory be be to the Father and to the Son and to the the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit, as as it was was in the beginning, beginning, is now, now, and and ever ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Tune in again next week. We love you.